for a lot of people, design is kind of the icing on the cake. And I suppose what I'd like to say is that actually design is the cake. <laughs> and so that's, you know, that is, that's what needs to be understood and it needs to be understood because it's really useful. Hi, I'm Dan Rubenstein, and this is The Grand Tourist. I've been a journalist for nearly 20 years, most recently as the Home and Design Director at Departures Magazine, and this is my personalized guided tour through the worlds of fashion, art, architecture, food, and travel, all the elements of a well-lived life. In this episode, I speak with one of the most exciting design curators working today, Victoria Brokes. As the new director of the London Design Biennale, the third edition of which runs until June 27th at Somerset House. Victoria brings a keen eye and fresh perspective on how to present the discipline's greater ideals to the community at large. Not only she managed to pull off an international roster of installations during the pandemic, but she orchestrated the inclusion of rock star sonographer S. Devlin as artistic director. What makes Victoria's perspective on design so unique? It's that she joined the Biennale hot off the heels of an incredible 14-year run at the Victoria and Albert Museum in London, where she was senior curator in the Department of Theatre and Performance. There, she elevated pop culture subjects to museum-level experiences, such as the show on 60s counterculture, You Say You Want a Revolution, and the Pink Floyd show, Their Mortal Remains. But it was her work as co-curator of the show, David Bowie Is, that truly made waves. The massive touring exhibition was the fastest-selling and most visited exhibition in the V&A's history. The show's five-year run ended up at the Brooklyn Museum, where yours truly savored it like you wouldn't believe. And for nearly a decade, she led the London Design Festival programming at the museum. So if there's one thing Victoria knows how to do, it's put on a show. I spoke with her at her studio in London just as the Biennale was set to open. Victoria, your career has been defined by your time at the VNA, curating shows mostly related to music. Is this something you studied specifically, or did you fall into it by accident? Well, it, it, it's it's not. It, it was a big passion. Um, but when I when I first started at the VNA, um, music was not uh, a subject there, and um, I was from a design history background, and I went straight into uh, design twentieth century design history exhibitions, um, and that's what I kind of thought I was doing and very much enjoying. Uh, they, from the outset, actually, I'd say, you know, the idea of being more immersive and uh, more emotional in exhibitions was something that um, I really tried to do and really appealed to me. But it was actually um, almost by accident that I found myself in a theatre and performance department uh, and that it had a fantastic music collection um, that had not um, really been it had been used from a kind of design perspective, um, but not particularly from a from a music and performers um, perspective. Uh, so there'd been some very forward-thinking curators from you know back in the 1960s who'd been collecting material as soon as performers were using visual and design to express who they were. Um, and it had been collected um, for that reason, uh, but the sort of whole thing hadn't been brought together. So that seemed to be a tremendous opportunity combined with um, my own sort of interest and, and passion for music uh, to do something that um, could potentially, um, I, I felt, um, connect with an even wider audience than, than design, art and designs traditionally did. When you're, when you're curating 
these shows in the beginning um, that really were about, um, you know, performance and, and how design interacts with performance. Were, was it hard to get the sort of respect from the greater world of design? Um, you know, keeping in mind that the VNA is such a historic uh, treasure trove of decorative arts and um, and fine art. Yeah, I I, I think that's um that's that's a, a good it's a good question. Um, it's it's sort of hard to say. I think it was kind of off the radar. And then it was considered um, to be popular culture, but perhaps a sort of a kind of unified thing in itself. And 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 the point I would always make about the exhibitions that um, I've, I've worked on um, and done is that they were never. It was never a single subject, and, and primarily it was never really about the music. Um, we, you know, there were obviously music museums um, of all kinds around the world, and if they take a, a, a similar subject, if they were to do David Bowie or Motown or whatever, they would, I'm sure, take it uh, primarily from a musical perspective. Um, But what I was really interested in was how this sort of connected all the different subjects, actually, that the V&A dealt with. So, you know, everything from sort of fashion to graphics to prints and drawings, um, you know, even Asia and and so on. It was was a a subject that could really bring all of those things together um, and very much depended on having a really good and different story um, for each of them um, would would sort of dictate which direction you'd you you go in for the story I'd say the first thing always is you know what what is the story before we return to Victoria I'd like to thank our sponsor BNB Italia a leader in luxury designer furniture founded in 1966 the company stands out for its representation of contemporary culture and for its research and innovation which has allowed the brand to create products with unique style and elegance the brand is the fruitful partnership between the company's research and development center in northern Italy and the best international design professionals. The iconic products of B&B Italia radically mark the history of design. The brand has so many legendary pieces, and there's one to fit every personality. If I were to suggest an icon of B&B Italia to Victoria, I would recommend an outdoor hybrid sofa by Antonio Citerio. After racing all this year to get the Biennale ready, I think that when it's all said and done, Victoria will need a bit of R&R outdoors this summer. There are so many fabric options, but I would take a guess Victoria would enjoy some of the subtle stripes that feel very English to me. Which iconic work of design is right for your personality? Visit bebitalia.com for more information. The 2013 show Victoria co-curated David Bowie is Broke Records, It had over a million visitors well before its run even ended. I'm a bit of a Bowie file myself and was able to see it at the Brooklyn Museum in 2018. There were hundreds of objects in the show, from costumes by his many collaborators, artworks by Bowie himself, and the show culminated with a massive video installation of his Diamond Dogs tour. And I'll admit, it made me cry. Before getting to the Biennale, I selfishly needed to ask her about the show and how its massive success helped to change the way museums think about design. When we got the gig, and this was the co-curator Jeffrey Marsh um, and I were first kind of given the opportunity to do this, uh, we uh, we realised immediately that this was the sort of, um, you know, 
offer of a lifetime and um, that that we have to do something really amazing. And uh, I suppose the starting point for that was that it wasn't going to be like any exhibition that either of us had ever seen, despite both working in exhibitions and going to lots. Um, so that, that was the starting point. And um, I, I think uh, alongside that, there was just the sort of demands of the subject. And I had um, of this very strong memory of seeing um, a, an exhibition, I think it was called Rock and Roll, um, at some poor museum somewhere. And, and the review said um, uh, they managed to take rock and roll out of rock and roll. <laughs> And, you know, so that kind of, you know, how, how it actually is possible, um, sadly, to kind of kill a subject stone dead in a museum environment was, um, you know, was it was a, a good uh, kind of um, lesson to think, well, you know, we definitely don't want to do that. Um, and then to, uh, I suppose, just in terms of museum processes, it was to take um, the, the, um, the sound and vision, if you like, as the sort of center point of of the exhibition, and to build around that. And and traditionally, museums, um, or certainly the V&A, had had previously sort of added added to the basic thing, which would be a collection of objects. Um, and then you'd you know you come along later and say, oh, we'll put some sound here, and we'll put some video here, and and that would be it. So that was kind of that's the sort of um, basic kind of building blocks. But I think in terms of um, what we were trying to do, it was as well as having a, a kind of strong narrative that was deliberately um, non-chronological um, and, 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 and quite sort of um, uh, discursive, I suppose, in, in taking um, sort of ideas and trying somewhat to sort of take Bowie's character and kind of make an exhibition, a kind of swirling vortex of creativity into something that you could physically visit. Um, but then um, actually sort of to do that, it was to treat almost every every part of it as almost as if you were at a theatre show or something. So actually to think of it kind of in and around, think of the visitor. But just going back to what you were saying, you know, what made it, I mean, the visitors actually made it. And what um, I noticed very, very strongly, I mean, both because we had a comments um, book at the end and so on, is that people took their own life stories to that exhibition. So, um, you know, you, you, you cried in it. Many people obviously <laughs> cried in it. There was a lot of um, emotion. And that was because, you know, people had their own story. And we, we wanted so much not to, you know... Uh, Sorry, I think I, I remember also thinking there are so many people who have followed every detail of Bowie's life. They know so much about him. I often met them <laughs> when we were working on the exhibition. Over time, as your shows at the VNA became larger and more elaborate, do you think that the culture at large has also become more receptive and appreciative to just how we define design, that it's not just about architecture and product? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that is um, that would certainly, you know, have come through in in any of those um, in any of those exhibitions, like um, David Bowie or um, you say you want a revolution or, or Pink Floyd. That actually the objects themselves are all objects of design. So you're telling you know multiple stories through them, uh, and also um, I say in addition treating the 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 music as much as, as uh, you know, as an object itself as well, um, as part of it. 
Um, but I think um, I think sort of going back to sort of how how was that kind of perceived? Was it you know taken as perhaps something more trivial than the heavyweight design subjects? Um, I think um, you know I think there was uh, certainly an element of that to start with, uh, and that would naturally have made uh, me look for subjects that had a very, very strong sort of art and design component. And I think now that the world has sort of moved on. Um, so I, I used to say, we probably wouldn't do Bob Dylan, not because he isn't you know, one of the greatest musicians and performers in the world, but because when it came to designed artifacts to go with it, uh, it's not quite the same as, say, David Bowie. Uh, with you know all the costumes on, I no longer think that's the case. I think um, really? you know, a museum of art and design could 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 easily do a great exhibition about um, about Bob Dylan. Say, and so how would you treat Bob? How, why, that, why? What what changed? Um, I, I I think the outlook. I mean, I think in terms of the outlook from from a museum that would you know uh, uh, David Bowie, although it wasn't the first exhibition, it was the first on that scale. But I think that presented uh, clearly the, the the possibility that you could go in so many different directions that would contain, you know, a fabulous array and be a wonderful showcase for, um, you know, for, for objects from the V&A's own collections, as well as obviously great loans and um, the majority for that. Uh, of course, came from David Bowie's own archive. Um, whereas, you know, if you were talking about a, you know, a beret or a peaked cap or or something and a t-shirt, that that wouldn't immediately be exciting. But then, you know, when I came to do the Pink Floyd exhibition, um, I mean, that in a sense that that was the case. I, I remember, um, you know, asking Nick Mason to sort of go through his attics and see see what he had, and he had a psychedelic shirt and an old tie, but it wasn't <laughs> much from a you know performance costume point of view. But the the the, the sets, the designs, the covers, the theatre on stage, and so on, that was a great subject. So it was completely different, uh, but it very very strongly presented a, a design and architecture. If you know anything about me, you know my year is defined by a circuit of design weeks, trade fairs, and festivals that happen each year in cities all over the world. One of the highlights is September, when London's design scene comes alive with many events, including in certain years, the London Design Biennale. But instead of having a commercial angle where product is sold, here the Biennale is like a small world's fair of radical ideas. This year's Biennale is the third, with this year's theme being Residence. Having a curator like Victoria in charge is quite exciting, so I wanted to know what the show will be like for her first debut as director, with rock star S. Devlin as artistic director. And so in the most basic terms to to an American audience, what is the London Design Biennale? Um, the London Design Biennale is a showcase of international design pavilions from countries and cities and territories, presenting their um, their perspective, their ideas, their installations on a theme, which uh, in this year, twenty twenty one, is resonance, and the the idea behind it is to uh, promote uh, design and the importance of international collaboration and exchange and the bringing together of ideas across um, national boundaries. And it takes place at Somerset House, which is um, 
Can you explain a little bit about the, the history and the importance of this location? Um, Somerset House is a really beautiful building in the centre of London on the Strand. Um, it, it, I think, don't let this put you off though, I think it was the world's first um, office building, certainly London's first office building, um, and it was built to house uh, naval and civil service offices, uh, although it also had the Royal Academy of Arts uh, there and of sciences and it's an age of enlightenment building it's a beautiful building with an enormous courtyard in the front of it uh, built in this quite um, austere age of enlightenment period when um, man was the measure uh, of all things um, so it's an interesting year um, to be back there uh, I think in a year when we we have been presented um quite, again, very uh, sort of viscerally with with the fact that uh, man must now kind of get his act together and live in harmony with nature if we are uh, going to go forward successfully. And uh, is the Somerset House used for anything else when it's not the Biennale, what is it? How is it normally used today? Yeah, it's um. Well, it's a great place. It's a great cultural. Um, it's a great cultural building and organisation. Very, very mixed programme. They have fantastic uh, exhibitions, quite often sort of small individual things because it's a huge, huge space overall. Uh, but they also have um, studios and and offices there for creative people. So it's a kind of creative hub. It's like a sort of community centre of, of creativity. But for the Biennale, we we take over the exhibition space over the entirety of the site. Um, so that goes from the Strand uh, right down, uh, looking out over the river. And uh, that allows us to present, um, you know, this great number of, of international installations. Um, and and they, we don't, uh, they present their own thing, as it were. So we develop and um, assist in creating these things, but we don't commission them ourselves. So in that sense, we're the only design biennale of its kind in the world and, and modelled somewhat actually on the Venice Art Biennale, which has a, a, a similar approach. You know, I was just sort of pondering recently on on kind of why I think <laughs> why I think this Biennale is more important than uh, not than other Biennales going on in other countries, but why, as a time, this is so important. And I do think, uh, you know, we've been we've all been through a tremendous amount over the, the last year and a half, um, and I think there's never really been a more important time to kind of get out there and exchange ideas. We've we've seen that uh, we are. We as individual nations need to work together with other nations, um, which is what the Biennale is all about. But we we now <laughs> we're now kind of I think convinced of that. I think there are a number of things that have come out of the pandemic that um, that that maybe uh, mean that this is a moment when um, we really can and will change things uh, for the better. So in a sense, you're kind of. You're repeating a little bit your work from the VNA, in it, but in a totally new way, right? You're 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 taking something that maybe um, has huge amount of importance and impact into literally everybody, but you now need to to convince people that that's true, right? Yeah. In terms of a, a, as a wider audience. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And and you know, I hope when people come down to the Biennale at Somerset House that um, there will uh, and is something for for everyone. I'm, I'm sure there is. I think it's you know it's it's sort of loads of fun, but it's and also how many, how many pavilions at this moment you have? Um, well, you know, I think More we have thirty four. 
um, which is phenomenal. And, uh, you know, hats off to those people and those countries around the world who have worked through, <laughs> I, I mean, so, I mean, challenging doesn't begin to, to describe it. Challenging and sort of ever-changing. And, so are you they know, shipping these pavilions to you and then your team has to kind of install it for them because they can't obviously all come to to London at this time, there, or, there are, is, or are some of them? There, are, yeah. I mean, it, it's a it's a total mixture. There are some um, who sadly will probably not be able to come at all. Um, there are others whose whole team will come and they'll um, they'll build them themselves. Um, but you know, even every step of the way, that has been. I mean, I, I mean, that would always, in a sense, be the case or be possible to be the case. Um, but for this one, um, you know, people have had, obviously they've had funding um, issues, they've had all kinds of production issues, they've had illness, you know, issues, they've got travel issues, they've got transport issues. Um, it's it's massive. And I think it's, um, you know, something of a, a mini miracle <laughs> that, <laughs> that we're able to do this. And, um, you know, it makes me feel quite emotional. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of really excited that people have have, have overcome their, their difficulties. We have um, we have a number, probably five, um, five pavilions that will be digital in the end that would have been physical. Um, so that, you know, that's new, but I should think actually that will continue. I think that's something now that we know, know what to do and how to do it. And um, that, you know, that could be an exciting way forward as well. Um, but the, the, you know, the physical will be really important and we'll have people there. It'll be um, socially distanced, very carefully managed how we take people through the space, but they will be able to be there. They'll be there with other people. Um, and I, you know, certainly I, I can't wait. And this year's theme is residence, which can you explain what that means in this particular context or what, and how yeah. you guys arrived at it? Yes. Well, um, Ez Devlin is the, 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 the renowned artist and, and designer, um, is the artistic director. And in fact, she was um, already artistic director before I arrived. And uh, she picked the theme of resonance um, way back, way back before any, any of this pandemic um, started. And her, um, her uh, she, she chose it, I think, because it was um, in part because it was quite a broad theme with this idea that um, you know the re repercussions of all our actions, of our lifestyle, of our you know everything we consume, everything we make, everything we throw away um, has a, a, a life beyond that we should be considering, um, alongside the the sort of auditory sense of resonance and um, and so on. So it was it was a kind of important point in the environmental context. Um, an important point in uh, the the ability, I suppose, of nations and of, of 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 sort of individual choice within space and place to have um, to reverberate beyond and around the world and so on. Um, what I think is um, so great is that actually it it now seems to have taken on a a kind of bigger, uh, you know, it feels more important I think than than ever. That um, that theme. So, you know, a number of um, the pavilions have adapted and evolved over the time. I think a lot of people have felt 
you know, that there are important things on their mind and this is what the Biennale should be about. So they've they've sort of changed their original ideas on it. Um, but resonance works well and we have um you know, we have a, a sort of range from the from the musical um to the uh environmental um stories around that theme. And so obviously that that's a great way to bring up the sort of showstopper of the year, which is in the <laughs> Somerset House courtyard. And if you've never been there, uh, as, as I have, it takes you a, a good five minutes just to walk across this cobblestone courtyard. It's quite huge. And so uh, can you explain this installation by S. Devlin herself um, that, of course, I, I'm sure is going to be quite resonant i guess is the the most yeah. the most um best way i can describe it yeah can you yes. describe what 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 her installation is, is yes um um i'll i'll try i'll give it i'll give it a go and i think probably the sort of um the first thing to say as i was describing the building earlier is um as an age of enlightenment building it was constructed um without any green space with a statute uh, forbidding green space within the footprint of the building. Um, and so that, in a sense, um, was a, a, a immediately, I suppose, provocative uh, to Ez that uh, actually, as man is no longer uh, felt to be the measure of all things and nature is uh, now um, uh, such an important, you know, uh, well, we're all part of nature, I suppose, that... Um, that she brings uh, 400 trees, a 400 tree forest to this courtyard. So I, I think the the sort of thrill, just if I can, you know, try and sort of conjure the thrill of walking into a space that is already absolutely beautiful, but normally completely stone built and rather austere, and uh, and there instead it has a forest in it. Um, I think that will be incredibly dramatic. Um, so just um, just just visually, the sort of snapshot of that looks looks sensational. Uh, but then you will be able to go into the forest and wander amongst the trees. Um, and at the centre of the um, of the forest is um, a, a kind of pavilion to the UN Sustainability Goals. So there are seventeen goals, and uh, you have an opportunity to sort of see what they are, to tune in to the ones that um, might resonate with you and uh, you're interested in, and, and and find out more. So I think uh, you know I think the great thing, as with so many um, great sort of design installation exhibitions. It works on so many levels. You can just go and um, have a lovely time in a forest, and uh, I think you'll be so you'll be able to walk. In, I've only seen renderings at this point, but are these trees planted into the ground, or how are, how is this sort of set up? Yeah, there's there's a false ground, as it were, and in fact, the Somerset House courtyard has quite a slope on it. So hmm. um, you know, it's different levels at, uh, at either end, and as you say, it's absolutely enormous. And you don't feel it. Be. Yeah, you, yeah, you <laughs> you don't feel it. So uh, it's got a kind of false false ground into which they're planted. So they're they're not in pots. And, they're, you know, they're in the ground, but it's actually not the courtyard ground, as I don't think they'd have been very happy if we dug up, um, <laughs> dug up the court, William Chambers courtyard. But um, yeah, it will feel like you're in the forest, and you're there are paths through the forest, but with this sort of central clearing in the middle of the forest. Before we return to Victoria, I'd like to thank our sponsor, Artemis. Artemis is the world's fastest-growing online retail destination for exclusive Italian luxury design decor, lighting, and gifts. Founded in 2015, 
Artemis celebrates and preserves authentic Italian craftsmanship by providing a global platform for independent designers and artisans. The site represents over 1,000 independent producers, designer makers, and artisans, and features thousands of exclusive products. The unparalleled online edit you find on Artemis includes the most extraordinary Italian makers for which the country is world-renowned. Design lovers and casual shoppers alike can search through more than 50,000 works of furniture, lighting, decorative arts, entertaining, and gifts. And you can take a closer look with multimedia content, such as 360-degree views, videos, and detailed descriptions of each maker's history and specialized techniques. Listeners of this podcast can enjoy 10% off at Artemis with the code THEGRANDTOURIST. That's one word. So visit Artemis.com for more information. That's A-R-T-E-M-E-S-T dot com. When you, when you think about this, the London Design Biennale, how much of it is about how do you bring London into it? If you have people from around the world, what makes this a show that only could happen here or there, I should say, as I'm yeah. in New York and you're in London? <laughs> yes. um, why, why only there? Because to me, it feels there's something about the whole thing that just seems uniquely uh, uh, British, for lack of a, a better word, or... It- yeah, yeah. I, well, I think, and actually, I mean, <laughs> not to flatter you too much, but I mean, again, it's a really good question because I think, you know, it's the London Design Biennale. It could be International Design Biennale, but that it needs somehow to have, you know, it needs to have London in a title. Um, you know, we, uh, we in London, I mean, I feel super proud to be a Londoner and to know that wherever you were born in the, in the world, uh, London is a great place as a creative person to to train, um, to be educated, to, to, to set up and to work. And a lot of people do just that. So it's, you know, it's a melting pot for design and creative industries um, and uh, long may that continue despite Brexit and, and all the other sort of things might be thrown in the way of that. Um, but it obviously has a, a great history for that. So in a sense, I think it is, um, it's that. So it's both, you know, it's about kind of, um, well, I, I, you know, I have a great attachment to the sort of one world idea and the sort of Buckminster Fuller sort of spaceship Earth um, <laughs> ideas. I got this from my sort of work on the 60s exhibition um, and so on. But I do think that we're coming back to exactly that, that, um, you know, we're all traveling on spaceship Earth and um, we've got to sort of look at, look after it. Um, and that is, you know, people, all of us from all over the world. And I think, you know, we've become very aware this last year of the world, you know, people who were perhaps before only looking kind of within their country, we of necessity, and because it's all over the news, are looking all around the world all the time to kind of know where we are. And I think that has sort of changed our perspective um, in in a way that, you know, again, could be quite, quite useful. So, um, yeah, I mean, London's a great place for, um, you know, uh, creative, creative people. Uh, and a gateway, of course, to the UK, which is a you know a great place for for creativity um, as well. And you know, I think that's really important to to who we are. And it's really important that we work hard to hang on to it because it's not you know it's not it's not a given, and it could go away. So we've got to you know celebrate it and um, and look after it, nurture it. And obviously, you wouldn't <laughs> you wouldn't mention any any. Uh particular pavilion as being your favorite but is there one that you think would be the most surprising uh to visitors 
Um, I, I, I should definitely um, say that the African, the Pavilion of the African Diaspora by Ini Archibong is, um, you know, it's, it's. I sort of feel it would be very hard to have be having the Biennale and not have it. Um, which sounds like a rather sort of backhanded thing. I mean, basically, we're thrilled to have it. It's on the River Terrace. It balances brilliantly with um, the Global Goals Pavilion, uh, and it's and it's wonderful as well because it's diaspora, not one particular country or another, of which we, you know, we have others um, from all over and uh, from Africa too. Um, but it is the voices of. Um, the African diaspora that it that it presents. So that's um, you know that's fantastic to have, and it's conceived as a kind of performance space, but also an event space, and uh, it's got many many works on many many levels. So that will be fantastic. Um, but yeah, I mean, I suppose I would say that you know there are the national pavilions. There are there's design in an age of crisis, which is has 500 submissions from all over the world of people thinking about design from there kitchen tables or their studios, which is um, fascinating. And we also have a section on sustainability and innovation, um, which uh, looks at those two important subjects through some universities and art colleges in England as well. So it's a a mixed bag. Antarctica as well. And Antarctica. Yeah, well, that is also a great coup because that <laughs> that gives us another continent. What you found, um, if you found designers in Antarctica. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Well, Ben Ben Cullen Williams, who's a um, London-based uh, uh, designer and filmmaker artist, who's um, who's made this incredible film uh, using AI, um, presenting Antarctica, which. Um, you know, is in a sort of multi-ownership, um, I think, until 2042. So it's a, you know, comment on what's happening in the world and also um, on, you know, how, how we join together to look after spaces as well, I think. And uh, if if our, our dear friend um, and mentor, David Bowie, visited us, or visited the Biennale from the great beyond, what, what <laughs> installation do you think he would get... Uh, what would he put on his Instagram? What would he? What would he be? What would he highlight that you think? Oh well, oh that's a good question. I think he'd. I think he'd like the. Um, I think he'd like the forest, um, uh, uh, very much. And I think he'd like um, Finland, um, which is the empathy echo chamber, um, which is a kind of reflective space, um, but also you know make making a comment really on the, the 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 power of empathy it's a very sort of beautiful um sort of uh, uh reflective um mirrored space where you go and kind of look at yourself and at others um so i think visually that's that's very stunning gives us our instagram moment but it's a kind of communal moment of exchange um so I think um, I d- I don't know. You never know with Bowie, do you? What he'd um, he'd find something. You know, he'd probably find something at, off the beaten track. Um, but yeah, I think he'd I think he'd really enjoy it. He'd enjoy it because it's full of ideas. And um, you know, Bowie was obviously greatly fascinated by by ideas and philosophy. And, and you know, that is something I'd say about the Biennale. There's not nothing in it is what we were talking about the icing on the cake. You know, it's not it's not product it's all about ideas and ways to present ideas um what was it like working with s devlin like what what did she bring to the table in terms of her eye and her sensibility that that has made an impact uh in all the work that people are going to be seeing because it's a lot yeah yeah um well 
Um, I should say also that I've worked with Ez over many, many years. Um, worked with her at the VNA. Uh, she did an opera at Bregenz, which is a lake opera, sort of vast stage on a lake. Um, great opera festival, um, and she did a uh, an installation uh, for Carmen um, for for me at the design festival at the VNA a few years ago. Um, and um, obviously, you know, have been in touch with her through that over many years as she's actually evolved really from primarily um, stage and set design with, you know, incredible range there from opera houses to Kanye West and so on. Uh, no one quite like us, I think, for that sort of breadth uh, and also Broadway and uh, West End uh, shows uh, into uh, becoming uh, an artist in, in her own right. Um, and what does she bring? Well, you know, we are, I think, highly attuned on the um, sort of popular front, not because it's popular, but because it's communicating well. So I think, you know, she and I see really eye to eye on that. Um, and, and what does she bring and how does she bring it? Well, I would say Ez has become more and more amazingly famous over the over the period the Biennale is being developing, and um, which means that she's uh, quite hard to get hold of some of the time. She doesn't have to be with us very often, but when she is with us, she puts everything into it. And I, you know, I've been really impressed with her focus and ability to sort of look at it as a design and find a, f- a few subtle sort of. Um, or maybe not so subtle, but not, you know, not a kind of throw it in a bin and start again sort of approach, but recognising what people are trying to do, why they're trying to do it, whether they're, you know, that they may not have, you know, enough money to do something this way or whatever, to, to come up with a brilliant and simple idea to address that. Um, uh, and also to really put a focus when she's focusing uh, on what she's looking at, um, I've been, you know, very, very impressed, and uh, so it's been a great, um, a great thing to be working with her. And you know, I think it's been a really, really good, um, really, really good for for the Biennale because I think it, it, you know, it carries that sort of, it will carry that element with it. Um, she's also, um, you know, very environmentally uh, focused, conscious, and focused, and more and more so. Um, and she's been, you know, good at kind of highly highlighting those aspects, uh, which, you know, we need, need all, all are and all trying um, hard to, you know, get better at. That was not the case very much in exhibition making before. Uh, and it's got to become more so. We've got to find ways to do that. And there's a, this fantastic poster of a tree um, for the for the Biennale about um, S. Devlin's installation. And it says, can we design a better world? And so do you, with everything we've kind of been through now um, in these past couple of years, um, do you still believe we can design a better world? Yeah, I really do. Uh, And not only that, but I think we're more sort of up for it. (laughs) I I mean, you know, I think going back to sort of saying, I think this is, you know, such an important moment for, um, for a Biennale and for, for, for this kind of exploration, um, wherever it happens across the world, obviously not just us. Um, I think we are so, um, so open to this. We've been, you know, majorly affected by what's gone on and all of these things that were, you know, probably quite interesting, 
um, you know, whether it's sort of social equality or um, environmentalism, you know, we all felt strongly about them before. But I think we feel much, much more strongly now. And we feel that if something good is going to come out of this um, past period, um, it, it should be this, that we, you know, that we go together forward into creating a better world. So, so no, I, uh, you know, it sounds, it could easily be a, a kind of platitude. One could have asked it at any time, but I, I don't know, <laughs> maybe it's just, I'm living this thing day by day. I really feel that, um, that, that we're all feeling it. So I, I feel very uplifted and excited about the possibilities. Thank you to Victoria and to her team at the London Design Biennale for making this episode a reality. You can learn more about the show at londondesignbiennale.com. The editor of this episode is Stan Hall, and transcriptions are by Kara Johnson. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of The Grand Tourist. To keep this going, please follow me on Instagram at Dan Rubenstein or at The Grand Tourist Podcast to learn more. Don't forget to follow The Grand Tourist on Apple Podcasts or wherever you like to listen, and leave us a rating or comment. Every little bit helps. Till next time.